So I guess it's going to come as no surprise to you that Far Beyond the Stars is another one of those episodes. Yeah, this episode actually made me hate uh, Who Mourns for Mourn a little more because we had to sit through that crap in order to get to this. We were going to have to sit through something to get to it. No, but I mean... We've, ta- we've talked every so often if they made the show and, you know, there were only 12 episodes a season. Well, this obviously would have been one of the 12. This is, frankly, I'd say one of – I mean, this is a really ballsy hour of television. Yeah. The um, – what I thought of, especially after this episode, was uh, – I think we may have talked about this before. There's a Babylon 5 episode, which has an o- – Ooh, my favorite show. Right? Um, there's a joke in in an episode where someone says, you know, this isn't just some kind of deep space franchise. Babylon 5 means something. And this episode is the most, like, that makes that line so fucking churlish. You yeah. Know? Well, it's, the entirety of the show makes that line churlish, Of frankly, course, but, but especially this one because, yes, Babylon 5 has tons of episodes that are dealing with metaphors, and, you know, and there are racism episodes, and there's, you know, politics and all of stuff. Like, it does legitimately... Uh, interact with some real world issues but why this episode is so ballsy because it takes it utterly out of a science fiction context and puts this in the real world into racism which actually happened in in a way which depicts it fairly starkly and fairly graphically for this kind of show yeah and i don't know it's it just ends on such a this is one of those episodes that's very blatant it's it's an anvil episode in some ways it's a very special episode in some ways but all in wonderful incarnations of all of those like the the kind of thing where you know this is a message that needs to be said and also this star trek needs to have this kind of an underpinning this the the ultimate aim of this episode is this is why we're doing this entire franchise because this is what actually happens in the world and you know we need to science science fiction in this episode and as star trek is a literary solution to these social problems and this is making that point explicit yeah and i mean we could probably talk about this episode for the entire running time of a of a truck about because it is that no and and i think i I, I will say when i finished the episode i immediately thought like how the fuck are we going to talk about this episode it is so dense yeah it's it's incredibly dense it's and not dense in the bad way uh (laughs) no there's a lot there there's a lot to it it goes through several different emotional arcs it doesn't end in the spot i thought it would be well it's a i mean it's a it's it's a very it's got so much going on and I think that one of the things that makes it such a good episode and I, I do want to talk a little bit about um, its critical reception at the time and also in, 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 in like in the present day as well because yeah. it's its critical reputation has actually gotten down a little bit well and I was about to in in the past few years because you know I think well, everyone that was involved in the show and everyone that was involved specifically you know in making this episode, uh, you know, a lot of people say this is their favorite episode. I know that Iris Stephen Bear, for instance, gets kind of, uh, you know, uh, you know, snippy about that because this is a, this is not a typical Star Trek Deep Space Nine episode. Of course. And so, if you're saying, "Oh, well, this is the best Star Trek Deep Space Nine episode," while well, the rest of the show was meaningless or something like that, which I don't agree with at that's, all. I think uh, that's a bullshit. And I think argument. that this episode is so strong precisely because it is so very different from what the rest of the show does. I, think, I mean, I think I think we need to take that look outside of Deep Space Nine, of the Star Trek universe 
for a little while, I think we need to make it very clear that Star Trek is fictional, but the problems, but the problems are real in a way. Like, I think this is one of the reasons it is good because, and because it is so different is because that's where a lot of its power comes from. And because I think that validates the entire rest of the series in some ways. I'd say this actually makes the rest of it more powerful because... Well, how so? One of the major points of this is this depicts a a world, a very real world, in which having a black starship captain is is crazy. Mm-hmm. Is, is this... Is this is is an idea that's even more ridiculous than men from Mars in, in this universe, and which Frank, let's be clear was 1955 America, it, which which is our universe, and well, I uh, will eventually get into some of the present day uh, implications of this episode, but this again it depicts our world where having a black starship captain was so so con- was a controversial was offensive to many people and. This is a series that went on for seven years that did have a black starship captain. In a way, the fact that this is an affirmation that there has been a change and that this world kind of can exist. Yeah. Uh, one of the major – I get what we're left at, we're not left – even though we have this horrible, see, sad image of Ben Russell being utterly defeated by his society, we – still have the hope we still have that feeling of the dream and we have star trek which does inspire people which has made its own change which does point to a so i i I guess it's not this episode makes it clear that everything else even though it's science fiction that doesn't trivialize it that doesn't make it less just because it's a fictional story means it still does have a lot of power and well and i think in one of the one of the things that that makes that so strong is the fact that far beyond the stars obviously loves and respects and knows you know the classic science fiction yeah. of the 1950s as well i mean and where were they they were all of the authors or most of the authors in the episode were were based on you know real science fiction authors of that time period and also the fact, of course, that you mentioned is that, you know, we can dispense with the, I guess, Deep Space Nine-ness of the episode very quickly because, of course, the entire purpose of the the prophets giving these visions to, to Cisco was to convince him in some way to stay in Starfleet. Now, the idea that Ben Cisco would, would leave Starfleet because of the war not going well, okay, that's, that's something that, no. you know, you might not be able to buy, you might be able to buy, but it's a way to get the episode that they really want to tell. And so, obviously, this, these visions are just a way for the prophets to say, hey, this is why it's important that you stay in Starfleet. And also, the fact of the matter is that, you know, Deep Space, we have to grapple with the fact, and we've talked about this a little bit before, that Deep Space Nine is a show that has a black actor you know, as the main cast member, as the main character, as the crux of the show. And it is, it, it's a very, uh, uh, it's it's performing blackness in a very real and authentic way that comes, I think, from, from Avery Brooks. Well, he especially. directed this episode. He directed this episode. He is the one that very much, you know, formed the on-screen relationship between uh, a Jake and Ben, for example. And he felt that that was really important. That's something we've touched on before in the past. And and also, frankly, that, you know, the show has never and Star Trek has never really dealt with, you know, no one says any no one ever says boo about Ben Sisko being black. No one ever says boo about Jamie yeah. being a woman. No one ever says boo about anything like that, because this is the 24th century. Right. And so that's why, again, this episode is so powerful, because 
it shows us exactly where we were and where we still are, frankly. In some ways, having a black captain and then a, a female captain and now in the uh, – have they cast the new captain yet? Yeah, the show had been on at this point. No, no I'm sorry. In, in – in, in, Oh, no, 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 no. So um, Discovery is, you know, as of the recording, uh, the, main char- the main character is going to be a woman. She is not going to be a captain. Okay. Take, take that as you will. But – and that's almost that's kind of irrelevant considering where Cisco is, but having a female lead either those seem like inevitable steps in the progression of Star Trek when you see where what Star Trek's aims had been for the original series and the next generation where it, what it wanted what the social points that it wanted to make having having Cisco and Janeway seem obvious in in a way, and that alone shows a difference between the climate of the, in, depicted in this episode versus the actual real world climate where we were in the 90s yeah. when these shows were created. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think that one of the things that I think is so obviously so stark about this episode as well is that, you know, this was 1997, 1998, I think. And at that point, it was a little over 40 years ago. And, you know, 20 years later, we are still dealing with a lot of the same stuff. And I think that you know, that is why an episode like this can be so powerful because it is, I mean, and again, like you said, it is very stark. I mean, they're not really pulling any punches. This isn't anything that Star Trek has really done before. You know, the original series was famous for, you know, using allegory and using visual metaphor uh, to tell stories about contemporary America. This is telling a story I mean, about contemporary America. This has Bizarro Jake Sisko look at the camera and say, you know, they're not going to think of us as starship captains. They're going to think of us as niggers. And it's, I was shocked. They're saying this on a Star Trek episode. Holy shit. Like, yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned that because that is the only time that that word is ever used on a Star Trek show. Yeah. And, you know, you know, I am of the opinion, of course, that I don't really say that word very much and i'm even couching it a little bit now but i think that you know when you are talking about the word nigger being used on a television show i think it's okay to use it i would be fine with somebody quoting the word faggot in a similar context on a podcast yeah but um yeah that that uh, again we're that that is not even remotely censoring it in any way how was the broadcast of that when that went on i don't know anything about it i think it was fine okay i don't think they believed it maybe they did i, I don't, don't know because again that sounds like to uh watching it on netflix it was a i guess well i guess one of the reasons that i find it would probably have a lesser reputation this day is because see there was this narrative especially when i was a kid in school that you know america had slavery and the civil war happened and you know then Black people were free and we had no slavery. And then about 50, 75 years later, uh, problems started happening again. And then the 60s happened and the Civil Rights Act happened. And even though there were a few years where it took for things to get, by now everything's okay. You know, we're all equal. In 2016, one of the major topics of conversation is that, well, no, that's actually not the case. That's you know, group life groups yeah. like Black Lives Matter, for example, are making it very explicit that that's you know, seeing scenes of police brutality in this episode and knowing much of the news that has happened over the past year, or, or that that has happened since then and even before then. But has it's always partic- happened. But it's it's been a particularly prominent topic of conversation. The viewpoint now is that well, no, things weren't fixed. We just said that they were fixed and. 
maybe in some ways things got better, certain things retreated underground. It's much more complicated than that. This episode doesn't really – this episode certainly addresses 19, the 1950s and it addresses the, the time – Cisco's time. Yeah. But it doesn't really address 1999 or whenever it came out and I think that's some of the problem with it. I don't know. I mean, I think that it's. I don't know that it would have worked as well if it had taken place in the the, the present day. No, no, I'm not saying it taking place in the present day, but in a way, the end of this, the 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 view, the contemporary viewer, the viewer who would have seen this when it aired, would feel that their time is much more closer to Cisco's time. In that, you know. Really, the only difference is we don't have technology like that. But yes, we would totally be okay with the idea of a black starship captain. Look, it's on TV right now. In 2016, we, I, for for example, one of the when they're talking about oh, it's not realistic to have a spaceship captain who's not white, and I think it's the core character who says you know, and men from Mars are realistic. I mean. That's something that in fucking video games happens a lot. A lot of times people will critique games such as The Witcher for having a very white cast and one of the normal – or for not having – for having women who are subservient or having – you know. and a lot of people will say, well, that's realistic. That's, that's how things were back then and you know, we can't have a strong female character in medieval times because there were no strong women. Not only is that a misunderstanding of history, it, it's a misunderstanding of, of fantasy in a way. Well, I think you're misreading that line a little bit. I mean, I don't think his intention was his intention was actually to support Benny in that. That's moment. what I'm saying. Okay. Oh no, I, I, it, that's a. I mean, that's a counter that I'm hearing a lot. People will say, "Why were Why are there no, people will critique a game for not having n- enough of a diverse cast?" People will say, "Well, it was. It's more realistic if you have a all white cast in a medieval." Uh, setting and well yeah but you're also having witches and wizards you know realism is out the window when we're in a we're in a genre that we don't have to adhere to the real world we can have a racially equal future if that's the kind of future we want to have what i'm saying is the very stupid argument that oh it's not realistic to have a black starship captain uh that's depicted in the 1950s of the show is something we are hearing in 2016. Oh yeah. In other, oh, yeah, yeah, in yeah, other yeah, words, yeah. that attitude still exists. So in 19, it's not as if racism and, and, you know, sexism went away in 1999 and came back. They've just shifted into different forms. They didn't. They didn't. Well, no, I agree with you, but I think that, that one of the things about, I, you know, Far Beyond the Stars is not a perfect episode. I, I, you know, I would say that outright. I mean, I think it's very powerful. I think it's very moving. Uh, you know, it's very singular. I mean, I thought it was you can't a take your episode, eyes away yeah. from it. Yeah, but uh, you know, I I agree with you that that on the one hand, you could make the argument that someone watching this today or or when it came out, you know, in 1998, that they could say, oh well, you know, everything's fine now because we could have a black starship captain. We yeah. do have a black starship captain. Yeah. Look, it's fine. But the other the other part of that is. It is an episode which features Benny being harassed by the police. It is an episode which features a black man who is mm-hmm. played by the same actor who plays Jake Sisko's son, who is someone that we love and respect and know very well. 
uh, being shot and killed by the police for no reason. The police is played by Gul Dukat, who in a few episodes ago literally said, I hate Bajorans, and expressed some... Ex- who, he and the police captain would have had a lot to agree with in that in that conversation. And Wayun is the other police officer. Yeah, I mean... That, yeah, that's not that, incidental. That's... They're making a... Yeah, they're very much connecting those two fights. So I think that that's where you're supposed to... That's where the episode is supposed to make you think. You know, it's supposed to say, what are the markers of progress? What are the markers of progress that actually matter? Do do all markers of progress matter equally? And obviously the answer is no, because I think that, you know, having a black starship captain on national television in the 1990s is perhaps not as important as making sure that everybody is treated equally by the police, for example. No. And I think that that's where the episode is really... It's not trying to. I mean, you could make the criticism of the episode that it's a bit didactic, which it is. But and I think it, it, it needs to be. But I think, yeah, I agree with you. I think it works for the episode very well, and I think that's what the episode is trying to get across. Well, I, I, I mean, there is a c- certainly merit to. I, I, I mean, someone like Whoopi Goldberg has explicitly said that seeing Nichelle Nichols on TV uh, was very inspirational to her. I mean famously did didn't. i'm not saying it's not no no but i'm saying yeah, i i i guess it's putting it into a, i think it's you know if it's I, putting it into a context you have a show on national tv which has a black actor in the lead which has people wanting to grow up and and be him and yeah but i think i think gay people being able to open live openly without being yes. harassed and beaten by the police is more important than being able to say serve in the military oh uh, yeah do you know what i mean no like there, no there that, are markers of progress I, I agree that are with more that. important than others i would say that the tv representation is important just to get just to get a black dude in your living room and not be scared do you know what i mean like i i i think that's but isn't that part of the I mean that's part of the undercurrent of Far Beyond the Stars though is that everybody is scared of Benny because yes. he's black. The police are scared of him because he's black. Even his coworkers are in some ways scared of him because he's black. And I think that you see that. I mean, you know, Avery Brooks is giving a very, you know, understated constrained performance in this episode and I mean we don't talk about acting on the show very much but I think it's important to note that you know Avery Brooks is doing some interesting work here you know he's squinting a lot he seems like he's in you know sort of physical emotional mental pain he's he's very quiet for most of it until of course the very end when he's exploding in that end scene so uh, yeah seeing him directing himself very much in this episode pulling both a bravado performance in some ways and Normally, when when he's directed a few episodes, and they haven't been Cisco heavy, I believe. So, and they actually usually tried not to do that. Yeah, and usually, I mean, Jonathan Frakes did a few episodes of Next Generation, which you know Riker would walk in, deliver his one line, and leave because obviously it's it's doubling the work. That made it very clear how important kind of this was to him. You get the sense that this is a story he very much felt important to tell which uh, which is why he wanted to direct it i assume um and that th- there there is a, a, a lot of black men in particular will talk about how there is one has to stay calm and my, and pleasant and smiling at all times because the second you get a little pissed off it's magnified in many people's minds to uh too much louder and much more violent and scary than it actually is uh and of course you see that in this episode when yeah. the character played by Renee Bergeron Wall threatens to call the police yeah when he's just getting you know pissed at his boss and the 
which is why, in a way, that very naked breakdown at the end felt as particularly powerful as it does, because this is a very... In other words, for me, this felt like the breakdown that Avery Brooks has always wanted to have at society and has never been, in a way, societally allowed to have. I mean, this is a... It was a very it's a very shocking monologue that he has a very long monologue one that's just focused directly on him and I don't know I think that's where a lot of the power of the episode came from particularly of that monologue. Yeah, no I would agree with you. I think that it does and I I I wonder I mean because one of the things that I always wonder about Avery Brooks specifically is again, you know, Deep Space 9 and Star Trek in general is not the type of a show uh, or franchise to really talk so blatantly and openly about the problems in America. Mm-hmm. And I think that to to some degree, Deep Space Nine is the show that that's doing that uh, the most of any of them. And I'm not saying that, that, you know, I'm not saying that TNG or TOS were not, of course, uh, doing social commentary, they were, but but Deep Space Nine is is putting it in a very particular contemporary American context. Well, they were do. This seems to be doing more political commentary. The others did social commentary in a way. Uh, I don't know if I would agree with that. I mean, I think that that you know certainly you could make an argument that that some of what Deep Space Nine is doing is is political, especially with the Cardassians and the Bajorans yes. and all that stuff. As you know, what I'm specifically talking about are things like past tense or or this episode. It's not something that the show even does that much, but it does do it. And I think that, I mean, to be clear, American racism is a very particular form of racism that is is caught up in society and culture and and the politics of America as well. I mean, it is a multifaceted issue that is still going on to this day and has it's baked into the DNA of America. So. It, it, in as much as all of that is political, then yeah, absolutely. I, I guess where I wanted to take the uh, to elaborate that point, the episode where they have the Jem'Hadar baby that grows up and eventually leaves. You had said that Avery Brooks had commented on that, talking about the uh, experiences of young black men growing up and unable to escape certain whether we're talking cycles of poverty and violence right, or whatever right. i think it is a very interesting right. sorry i'm just i'm thinking about something in voyager which is yeah okay <laughs> is, is it a less profound take on that theme there's because... a there's a species in voyager that's supposed to be a take on like la street gangs oh good so yeah that to look forward to i'm excited uh <laughs> We see the character that we see Bizarro Jake in this episode doing a very literal version of he he's somebody who can gets, we please call all of them the Bizarro name? That's what I have in my head because I have no idea what the hell any of their names are cool. besides Ben Russell. Cool. Um, right. I'm good with this. Um, well, he is somebody who finds himself unable to really get a job because of who he is and ends up going into gangs and crime and ends up getting killed as a as as a result of that he is somebody who is very literally caught up in that who has no no outlets no future in in many ways even i mean ben russell is very much an exception his writing talent has allowed him to get out of that fate and yet 
he isn't able to enjoy the fruits of his labor honestly. He gets harassed by cops for wearing a what are you doing in this neighborhood? Why are you wearing that outfit? When it's frankly his place of business and he's dressed as a professional. Um, Which is one of the points that the episode is making, of course. Yeah. That that there are worlds in which, I mean, you know, from my own experience being gay, there are certain environments in which you feel more comfortable Mm -hmm. or or whatever. And, you know, certainly I'm not saying that there are parts of town that I can't go to because I'm gay, but you know, in this episode specifically, well, uh, let let me put it this way. You're talking about parts of town in Portland or New York city. I can tell you about the ways I felt in Jersey. I I can tell you how it was in even smaller towns in more rural areas, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I think that, you know, one of the things that the episode is talking about, especially with the the character, you know, I think Bizarro Jake and Bizarro Worf in this episode are kind of two sides of the same coin. And yeah. Benny is kind of in the middle mm-hmm. because, you know, historically, one of the ways in which black people were allowed by society to to succeed, get some money, get some stability were to perform for white people, mm. were, were to entertain them via sports, via mu- music, via movies, via yeah. whatever it was, right? And so, the, you know, Bizarro Wharf in this episode, he's a famous baseball player. He's playing yeah. for the Giants, which I guess is a real team. I don't know anything about baseball. Please don't write me an email. And But he's still saying, I'm not going to live on Park Avenue because yeah. I'm not going to, they don't want me as a neighbor. He's they're, okay they're, in very specific context. And frankly, if you look at Jackie Robinson, he wasn't okay in those contexts. Well, right. Always. Yeah. I mean, that, I think he's kind of a Jackie Robinson type. And then of course you have Bizarro Jake, which he doesn't have any of those sorts of perhaps creative skills that white people value or, or allow black people to, mm-hmm. to engage in. And so what he has is his patter. He's got his, his uh, uh, scams, his, you know, things like that, and and his crime, frankly. You know, it's petty crime. He's not murdering people. He's not doing things that are terrible. I mean, there's no indication that the character is a bad person. And, in fact, he and Benny are friends, and Benny doesn't seem like the type of guy that would have yeah. friends that would be, you know, mafiosos or whatever. But then you look at Benny and you say, well, what, what it, where does Benny fit into this? Because... Benny is a creative person. Benny is a writer. You know, Benny has obviously worked very hard to get where he is because this is 1955 America. Oh, yeah. and he's black working for primarily, uh, you know, in a, in a, in a, you know, he was partially based on, on, um, uh, Delaney. Okay. And I don't know. Uh, I don't know if you want to tell the audience. Samuel Delaney. Is. Uh, yeah. yeah, he, uh, he comes a little later in terms of when he was writing, I'd say he, I believe sixties and seventies were when he, became a real writer as a you know um but yeah i mean they're they're one of the things that this episode makes me feel bad that i don't i'm not well, able, he was a, and he was a black science fiction author like is. That, yeah <laughs> is he's not dead yeah i'm not able to speak as fluently as i should be able to about black science fiction authors which is a problem well, and, there was a great um article that i think i sent you a while ago that it was a big list of science fiction oh, yeah. by black authors so well, one of the things this episode made me think about is because you also have kira is supposed to be a woman who's pre- is a woman who's pretending that at when she publishes under a thing that people are able to assume is a male name uh she's passing too even star trek did that with yeah. <laughs> fontana um and then i mean it's she- still done today look at i mean that's why jk rowling one of the most oh yeah po- popular and rich authors of our time had to go under that yeah um, and and her character in this episode is married to uh, a, a dark-skinned man Right, because you know Bashir is is Indian. Oh, 
So I didn't click that they were married. Yeah, they call okay. themselves Darling every once in a while. It wasn't, oh. it wasn't obvious. Yeah, exactly. The I, I mean, there is a degree to which I could watch a show about this this office because this sounds like a lot of fun. But uh, until Benny, you know, deals with what he has to deal with, but. I guess part of it is Benny believes that the Jake character is better than that. Yeah. And well, he's obviously intelligent. He's yeah, obviously smart. but for Benny's a dreamer, right? He's some he is a writer, he is a science fiction writer. He's somebody who sees the world but doesn't really see it is imagining the future all right. the time. And so in a way, he has that little bit of writerly naivete that believes that he can transcend his race in a way to uh, be able to be a popular author on his own merits and be a be a popular author re- measured uh, measured on the same scale as as whites because when Cassidy Bizarro Cassidy is saying oh you could write for this number one he's disappointed because she's naming newspapers but mm-hmm. she's also naming black newspapers which aren't general circulation and which are kind of he doesn't want to be on the lesser circuit he wants to be on he wants to be judged as a science fiction writer. Yeah, which which is true, and I think that one of the tragedies of the character of Benny specifically is that he is writing science fiction probably for a primarily white audience, although we don't yeah. know what the you know racial ba- breakdown of Incredible Tales or whatever the hell it was. But we can assume uh, that the majority of its readership is white, male, probably under a certain age, yeah. But I think everyone listening to this will probably have some sort of idea about the type of science fiction that this magazine was publishing. Yeah. And, you know, when Benny writes this story about a black starship captain, a black whatever captain, it's not a starship, what we keep saying starship, (laughs) uh, that he is trying to use his talents and he's trying to say something about the condition of, of black people in his society. And that's when he gets slapped down. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, in like, like the same way the bizarro wharf is, you know, he would never, uh, uh, you know, give a black power speech, you know, after winning a, a home run. Um, God, I really sound like a nerd when I talk about sports winning a home run, <laughs> uh, you know, and then, you know, in the same way, I, I think perfect example of this is what's been going on in the past couple months about, um, I don't know if you've heard about this, but, uh, you know, all of these black uh, uh, football players that are refusing to stand for the national anthem or sitting for the national yeah, anthem. Yeah, I've had for the trouble anthem. figuring it out because a lot of people on the internet are talk- making all these memes about them, and I don't understand what they're referencing to. And every time I look up something, it's about the memes and what's going on with Pepe the Frog. Why is this a thing? <laughs> anyway, so yeah, essentially that you know the same thing is happening as as you know is ha- was happening fifty years ago, where you know let's be clear that. I think something like 70% of the NFL players are black. I think that something like 70% of, of NBA players are black, maybe more. I don't know. You know, these are very, these are sports primarily enjoyed by, certainly they're enjoyed by, by all sorts of, of, of races in America. But, you know, most people in America or, or, you know, the, the majority of people in America are still white. And so you look at this and you say, well, here is a significant, there's majority or a significant number of, of white Americans that are enjoying the labors of black men and that's fine. And then as soon as they use that as a vehicle for social change or making some sort of statement, Mm -hmm. that's when white people don't want to hear about it. And this is still going on now. So it's performing as subservient rather than performance as as an equal in a way. 
Well, right. I mean, it's basically saying, you know, dance for me. Yeah. You know, you're okay as long as you're just not making me think and you're throwing the ball good. But then as soon as you start to show us that you have intelligence, integrity, you want respect, you have thoughts of your own, you're not just a guy throwing a baseball or, or a football, that this becomes a real issue. What? Which brings me, I guess, to the Cassidy Yates character. Because yeah. she's, the, she's one of the few characters in... She doesn't seem to have anything to want to do with white society in a way. She she works at a black diner. She's about she's en route to be to owning the place and she probably manages it now or something. Um she's going to be a business owner. She's going to be an important part of her community. She's going to, you know, she and again, it's something, you know, when she talks about, you know, you could write for the newspaper, she's talking about the the black papers but in a way not to for her, I don't get the sense that they're lesser. I think, uh, again, Ben kind of wants to transform white society. Jake thinks that white society will never accept him, so he doesn't even try, so he gets what he can. Cassidy figures that she doesn't have that option, but she's going to do get whatever she can within her own. and Within, her, well own, within her own society and her own culture. She has carved out a place for herself in in black society, in black culture, assumingly this is Harlem or somewhere like that in New York City. And but the, that and I think that's what the point of of Bizarro Jake being murdered by the police yeah. is, is that even in the enclave where the Cassidy Yates character feels safe, yeah. in the enclave mm. where Bizarro Wharf can feel like he is still, you know, a, an important person and he is respected and everybody loves him and no one is going to look at him because he wants to run an apartment in their building. That and frankly, the where what? he can flirt with any women he wants to without having, yeah. you know, if he walked out in with a white woman on his arm, there would be a lot more problems. The white police <laughs> can still come in and murder you in your own in your own place for not for no reason, really. And that is also the precipitating event of Benny's breakdown, of course. Yes. You know, that that's kind of like where it starts, and then the police beat him, and that's shocking. You know, so, and of course, I mean, I don't want to go too far afield in talking about, you know, sort of American history and stuff, although, haha, we've never done that before. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, the other thing that I want to, that I want to say and make clear is that they've been kind of dancing around the entire time we've been talking about this episode is that, you know, to be clear, American culture and society is rooted, based, and wrapped up in violent white supremacy that has been enforced by violence for hundreds of years. And it's still going on to this day. That's why this episode is important. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, and I, 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 hate, I hate to have to say things like that because it seems like it should be obvious, but there are so many people that still don't think that. You know, and it's like it wasn't just slavery. It wasn't just the Civil War. It wasn't just sharecropping and, you know, Reconstruction and the Ku Klux Klan. It wasn't, you know, there's so many things in this society. And, you know, violence is not always actual physical violence. You know, violence is also Jim Crow, right? I mean, you know, it's still going on. I mean, and it's still going on to this day. So, and then, of course, you know, when when black men do try and, exercise the same rights of self-defense that white people have mm -hmm. they also get shot and murdered i so, think you and the army and the bizarro quark would get along very well because that kind of seems where he is very much the very left-wing intellectual type who you know yeah I'll, I'll i'll go with that 
I'm a left wing and <laughs> left wing intellectual. I mean, I do like that they didn't go too, f- but they do definitely mention. You know, Kira definitely does deal with the issue of passing, and she definitely talks about wanting more female characters in. And I mean, there is a lot to say about Jewishness in science fiction as well. Yeah, uh, but I, I think that may be beyond my personal wheelhouse. It might be beyond the scope of this podcast as well. But we're perfectly qualified to talk about race in America, so. There, there goes us. Um, I'm not saying I'm perfectly qualified to talk about it. No, um, we're 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 allowed to have this reaction to this episode. I think, and I mean, at the end of the day, it's an episode that does have some problems, but I found it a an extraordinarily beautiful episode, and I there's nothing I would have changed with it. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think that. I mean, really, the only way that it could have been better, perhaps, would have been to not i don't know i mean i was gonna say maybe not have the character of bizarro ben's father in it but maybe that is necessary i I don't know i i I never know how i feel about that part of it because it does feel like a little bit on two on the nose he's ranting about the prophets that's the one issue that is i mean by and large the episode is not concerned with why this has happened it just as we said, there's some vague hand-waving about, oh, the prophets, and, you know, the, 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 the closest you can come to a connection is that, you know, racism in America seemed an impossible fight to win, but in this universe, it has been defeated, and so even the Dominion, I mean, that that's the closest well, they've come to making it, but... I, I think that the real, I mean, like I said, you know, when we started talking about it, I mean, of course, the, the real through line to the episode of why this is here is that, you know, Cisco is thinking about leaving Starfleet yeah. and it's important that there's black men in Starfleet because of this reason. And here's an, here's here's a little morality play for you about why it's important that, that Cisco is in Starfleet. Yeah. Enjoy. Again, the framing of it was only so interesting, but that's okay. They They dispense with it very quickly. What this... Remind. This is another episode that reminded me a bit of the inner light, in that he. This is somebody who lives a very different life, but yeah, but the, yeah, but of course, you know, the thing about the inner light and and far beyond the stars is that, you know, the inner light is the story of a white man who finds joy and happiness and peace in a family, well, and far beyond the stars is the story of a black man who finds beatings and murders and firings and mm-hmm. all kinds of horrible things. Yeah, you know, so. Maybe that's more of a sly take on, on the inner light than, than perhaps we think it is. I don't know. Well, yeah. And there was also this e- – this episode ends with this blurring of reality and dream and the – you know, if we are Benny's dream. Because in the real world, this is essentially the dream of maybe not Ben Russell, but yeah. this is the dream of people. Yeah. And- I, I, I can't really think – I mean I agree with you. I can't really think of a better place to put this, and so I'll just say this. They thought about ending the series, the last episode, the last shot of the mm-hmm. last episode of the of the series, being a shot of Benny Russell sitting on a sound soundstage with a script that said Star Trek Deep Space Nine in his hand. Now, I'm glad they didn't do that because that sounds awful. Yeah. But I think it shows how far into the DNA of the show this kind of thing goes. Well, I what if the f- frankly the episode where Jake is writing with that druggy muse lady, which was a terrible episode, but he writes the story of DS9 at that point. He was writing the st- his the book that the ebook he published post uh the post DS9 getting has was a collection of what's what was going on at D- in DS9. I mean, I again, I don't know how the series ends, but 
it is also this could just as easily end with uh jake cisco you know closing a book and said well that was my first book did you like it um i think this uh, this series does have it's not cute about it as another series might be it's not blatant about it but it does have the feeling that these are this is a story that was imp- that's important to tell that both people within the universe feel is important to tell tell yeah. others and obviously the people who created the show felt this was an important story to tell for all and not just because it was an interesting story even though it is an interesting story but because it's about something that's very meaningful and that's very necessary to tell people again both you know jake believes that ben russell believes that cisco believes that iris steven bear and you know ron moore believe that you know we believe that so i believe it yeah i think that's a good place to leave it we could have talked about it for another hour probably we, but. we didn't talk about dax at all <laughs> terry farrell's character has no point in this episode but she's hilarious, and she could tell she had a great time doing it. Oh, she's got a woman in her belly. That's disgusting. <laughs> I, I love that, that she's – I mean, they don't – for the most part, the characters don't connect to their counterparts, at, really. But I do – that is kind of – Dax is the per, kind of person who would find something disgusting fascinating as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was a good time. was had by all. I don't think a good time was had by Benny at all. Oh. I think that that's very offensive. Oh, okay. Never mind then. Well, I think a good time was had by all in One Little Ship. This is another episode where I can see the TNG version poking through, and it would have been one that really cared about this miniature ship and had all these set pieces and had how are they going to get out. And this episode uses the mini ship very sparingly, but is mostly not about it at all. Yeah. And, and what it's about is unfortunately kind of disappointing. Really? Because I really liked the whole Jim Hadar thing. Um, well, not, it doesn't go anywhere. That Okay, that's a problem. don't really ever talk about it again. They abandon <sighs> the idea very quickly. Oh. And I think that's why. Yeah, I know. And, okay, because I was going to say, I I have all these fascinating resonances of the the differences between the alphas and the gammas and what's going on and oh. it's it's an i mean we can still talk about it and i think it's important no, we to don't talk have about to talk because, about it no i think <laughs> i think we do i mean i i will say that i think it's a good pairing that, to have one little ship right after far beyond the stars because we talked about far beyond the stars for almost 45 minutes and so this oh. will be a maybe a shorter little conversation because <laughs> i don't know that there's that much two to hours about later it. but it is an episode which is very much predicated on a gimmick. They acknowledge the gimmick very early. Yeah. You know, with Kira laughing her ass off on the bridge, <laughs> which is great. And then, of course, everything goes to shit, which yeah. is how drama works. So it's not surprising. But I guess there could have been a version of this episode that, I, I don't know, the, the Alpha Gamma conflict makes this episode much more interesting than it would have been without it, because otherwise it would have been just another Die Hard on a Starship episode. We've seen a few of those. This one has the twist of the miniaturization, but otherwise it's just that. Now that they have this conflict between the two generations of Jem'Hadar, and, I mean, one of the things that the show has been very subtly leading up to, and I really hope this gets paid off, is this possibility of the Jem'Hadar to change, to have some kind of cultural meaning to them. And... 
a lot of characters have said the Jem'Hadar don't want anything, they don't have any ambitions, they don't take any pleasure of anything. The gamma, the Alpha Jem'Hadars want things. They want power. They want to be the ones who are... They, 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 they want to be the guy in a lot of ways. And right now, all they're interested in is proving their superiority over the Gammas. But I get the sense that if the Gammas were to die out and the Alphas would be there, they would still have some more ambitions. And that's really... I don't know. Together... Together, the two of them make Klingons, really, because they have ambition and honor in many and ritual. Yeah, it's hard. It's uh, it's hard to to say because you know one of the things about the episode is that they do have this line in it where they say you know our psychological profile was was suited to to combat yeah. in the Alpha Quadrant. That's assumedly why they're a little bit different than the Gamma Quadrant uh, Jem'Hadar. Yeah. And, you know, there is, I I think that the one failing of the episode is you never really get much of a sense of how they're different, which is maybe why they dropped the idea. Well, that they, because as you said, there is the implication, okay, they're just better suited. There's certain environmental conditions in the Alpha Quadrant, let's say that they can better, you know. Right. I, I, I can accept that. It doesn't really matter, but... So then you'd get the implication that the Alphas are the ones who are going to mostly fight this war, but still in the Gamma Quadrant, they're going to need the original. But then you have the Vorta who's saying, oh, they're, it's a new generation, and how does it feel to be replaced, and those kind of things. And- yeah, it's it's strange, of, of course, because you're right that the Alpha Quadrant, Jem Hadar in this episode, are, are much less focused on the ritualized mm-hmm. aspects of everything. I mean, they, they kind of dispense with the, the ritual of the white. They don't want to do it. And they don't even have a Vorta controlling the white. Well, that's the other thing, too, yeah. which is kind of surprising, is that there's no Vorta there, which I'm kind of always like, what? Uh, you know, maybe they just they have a shortage the, of Vorta. Well, I don't that's know. The, but... Part of the implication is that, I, I mean, very certainly, the 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 at least this... Vorta, but the founders, everybody has placed a little too much faith in the Alpha, and in this episode, their hubris really does, and I I would like to kind of unpack how that exactly works, but um, the implication is that the Gammas can't be trusted, they need the Vorta to administer the white, because if not, either they'd run amok or they'd kill the Vorta and take it all immediately. So they, you know, that's why they don't immediately kill the Vorta because he's rationing the white. But these Jem'Hadar can be trusted with the white. They'll be able to ration it properly. And, I mean, the Vorta isn't even on the mission with them. Yeah, so you get the sense he just gave them a case and said, all right, be responsible. Yeah, it's weird because it's it's the one thing that's always difficult to talk about with with the Vorta and with the Jem'Hadar is that, you know there's this idea that they're genetically programmed to act in certain ways and the individual personalities of each Jem'Hadar Vorta are are subsumed in that sort of thing, right? And I don't know how much the show actually supports that viewpoint. While that's the while that's the text, I don't know if the yeah. actual subtext of that is is accurate. Yeah, but, and. Sorry, one also wonders how strong such programming is. Every time Wei Yun sees a founder, he, you know, goes in awe. But just how some people are more genetically better at, you know, certain talents doesn't mean you can't develop them if you're not if you right. have that advantage. Can a Jem Hadar develop the talent to rebel? Right. Right, right now, that's an open question. 
Right. I don't know. And I think that the answer is probably yes, because, you know, the, the elder in the episode, the second is challenging the orders or not challenging them, but he's he's, you know, well, he knows almost what... challenging them. And I think that, well, the other thing, too, that I, that I wanted to say is that I don't know that we're allowing for some Vorta and some Jem'Hadar to just be incompetent. That's true. I mean, because, you know. I do agree with you that that not having a Vorta on the ship and having the the Jem'Hadar handle their own white is a pretty significant change, but it's not one that the episode calls attention to in any way, and it doesn't seem to be of any import to anybody. All it and really so it, does is the it, it, it's implied that they're just dispensing with the ritual, right? And- and it, you know, it makes me think that maybe this Vorta is just not very good at what he does. That could be. Maybe this is something that happens every once in a while when there's a shortage of Vorta. Mm-hmm. You know, who knows? I don't know what the answer is. I'm just kind of spitballing. Yeah, it but, seems significant to me just because the show has made so much of a point of the ritual and the reactions to the ritual and how is the Vorta handling the ritual and every Jemadar has a Vorta assigned to it. And yeah, I think it's, I think it's more that, and maybe this is informed by where I know the show goes, but I think it's just more informed by the fact that the show kind of fell down in that scene. Okay. Like, I don't know that it really has any, big importance that's outside of that okay that's you know it's probably they probably just thought oh, just as there we... are some excellent writers and directors sometimes they make yeah because it's like okay how can we shortcut the fact that the gem and are that are bred in the alpha quadrant are not big on ritual oh let's have them dispense with the ritual yeah. white forgetting that the vorta should be there mm-hmm. that could that could be that y- okay you know i i don't know Again, I feel like a lot of the wind was taken out by finding out that the alphas don't really go anywhere because this could be a very interesting plot for them to go into. Yeah, but- it, could, it, it definitely could be. I mean, I I, I I tend not to tell you when things are not going to pan out, but in this case, I think I wanted to. Just well, because- I was about to get really excited, and I would be asking you every week, what's happening? What's happening? What's happening? Right. Um, that said, the conflict as it is in this episode— I love it because, number one, Cisco immediately figures it out and is mastering the situation in about 45 seconds, and he's mastering it kind of openly. Frankly, if the Gamma didn't mention, look, he's obviously going to try to escape, if the Alpha had noticed it first, there would be no problem because the Alpha would have just immediately shot Cisco. And right. been fine. The second the Gamma mentions it, well, the Alpha has to... Prove that his orders are more – that his place is better than the Gamma. So no matter what the Gamma says, even if it's completely accurate, even if it's completely right, even if it's what turns out to be the case, uh, he's just going to go against it just on principle. Meanwhile, the Gamma is going – knows that his orders are wrong, knows that the right thing to do is to kill Cisco, to yeah. sabotage yeah. their progress, to make sure – but – is in the position of either following an order that's eventually going to fuck things up, as we see, or going against the order and going against what he sees as the natural order of the world. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I... It's funny, because you saying Gamma so much just made me think, like, since the Jem'Hadar can camouflage themselves, maybe. Cam- Ga- gamma Chameleon? No. Do you really want to hurt me? <laughs> I I think so, but... I don't think so that I want to hurt you. I think <laughs> I'm agreeing with your previous <laughs> yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That it is the case where 
this episode seems to be trying to say certain things that we could extrapolate out to all the gem that are no matter where they're bred right yeah because again the set the idea is that you know you you say oh the gamma the, the second is questioning the orders knows that he should kill yeah cisco is slowing them down even though he's not openly questioning the orders even though he's not openly defying them there is the the the, the undercurrent there is that the gamma quadrant alpha the gamma quadrant gem hadar just has more experience yeah he's just older he's seen more shit and that seems to go against the idea of the gem hadar being these perfect soldiers and so Hmm. There's a lot of tensions here that I don't know are, you know, because we don't really know to what, again, we don't really know to what degree that the, the, you know, genetic conditioning of the Jem'Hadar is of utmost importance to the way they act and behave. I don't know that you would need a ritual like the white ritual if they were genetically programmed yeah. to behave at all times. I don't know that it's possible to do that. No, that seems to me a cultural thing, mostly. Of course, one of the implications of the show has been if the Dominion say they can do something, they probably do have the capabilities just given their amount of resources. What degree is this di- the Dominion spitballing and making it seem, be- you know, more impressive than it is? If anybody has the ability to create soldiers who can do that, it would be the Dominion. I don't know if the show knows if it has the ability or not yet. Yeah, I don't know either. And I think, you know, I mean, frankly, too, I mean, we're running out of time here. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's not that much more show left. Season and a half. It's true. Yeah. So I think that we have to start getting some answers to these questions or perhaps we're never going to. I don't know. Which, you know, could be disappointing, could be not disappointing. I don't know. Well, aside from all that, I think that, I mean, what what do you think about the, the... adventures of the rubicon flying around the defiant it's ridiculous i guess what 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 of my question there is no there aren't any oxygen masks on the rubicon uh because because there's the part where they're like you know we can deliver miniature because obviously the air molecules in the ship and in whatever life support are yeah sure that's fine but you'd think that i mean these these are people who are go using the ship to go to planets that you and usually when it's a planet that's for some techno babble reason we can't use the transporter. So they're going to be in situations with no atmosphere. They have to have an oxygen tank on that, but they've got those little belts from the animated series. Exactly. So why couldn't they use that? But beyond that, I mean, the set design team clearly had a lot of fun making the computer that they get stuck in. There's a couple, but again, they don't really, this episode isn't, you know, just 40 minutes of special effects. It is, no, this no, isn't no. Honey, I Shrunk the, you know, it's Honey, I Shrunk the Trill. It's, uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Runabout. I don't know. Yeah, uh, no, I agree with you. I mean, I think that, I mean, to, to your point about the, the spacesuits, I think maybe it could just be retconned away as like, well, you know, O'Brien couldn't do the fine work that he needed in the gloves or something. I mean, you know, I mean, there's, there's ways around it. But, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's a weird episode. It's a schizophrenic episode in a way because you've got this, and they even said as much. I mean, they they said that it didn't work as well as they wanted it to because, yeah. and I don't know that I agree with this that they wanted to, they should have used a more humorous quote unquote species like the Packlet or something. And I'm just like, oh boy, which one is the Packlet? We make things go. Oh God. Though. Yeah, those guys from the second season of TNG that kidnapped Jordy. Ugh. 
Yeah. Remember all the way back then? Uh, that happened. Wait, weren't there like also people who like spoke in binary? Oh, uh, yeah, the, the binars. Oh, God. They were really called the binars. They were really called the binars. There was a lot of bad Star Trek, hasn't there? And there's more to come. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. Do the binars <laughs> appear in Voyager? Because I really. Captain Janeway is a binar. <gasps> you know, it is. And I don't know that I agree with that because I don't think that this episode needed no. to be a comedy. I think that it was funny enough. And it also had a very serious side. And I think that's what DS9 does well. And I think that's what Star Trek does well. I don't think Star Trek generally does a good job of being a straight-out comedy. So let's not try. And I wouldn't say... I mean, I wouldn't say that the miniaturization miniature scenes are exactly funny. I mean, they they go a little more towards an adventure kind of of thing. I would say they actually take... I would play this video game. Yeah. They take the... um, yeah, oh my god, and you can go in like different like oh wow and, yeah. Um No they they, they, they treat it seriously. Ser- yeah, they treat it as you know, they they dispense with the humor of it fairly quickly. They have a few jokes here and there, but for the most part it's a it's thrilling. What are these characters? How are these characters going to f- take care of this situation? And the fact that it's an actual dangerous group of people Work, assaulting the shit yes because then it's an actual if it's a bunch of if it's the binars the pack led then the stakes are very low and that it becomes a very boring episode yeah no i agree with you i think it actually works better that it's the gem hadar yeah and i think it also works better primarily because i think in a way it, it underscores the danger of the gem hadar because mm-hmm. you have you have cisco you have Worf, you have kira you have nog uh, who is apparently now on the ship for some reason. Hey. I don't know. He's great. That that these are very smart people. They're obviously trying to to do things to get them free. Uh this whole idea about getting the command code so they can control the ship from engineering, which, you know, seems like a good idea, but I don't know why it's so complicated. Huh. That they're they wouldn't even be able to do this if it wasn't for the fact that A, Starfleet is still doing scientific missions yeah. in the middle of a war. You know, it's it's Starfleet's impetus and Starfleet's desire to explore yeah. the galaxy that actually solves this problem and saves the ship. Yeah. Because without that, they wouldn't be here. And that also, it's it's really an episode, it's an ensemble piece about teamwork as well. And one of the things you'd said in Who Mourns for Morn is that that one was not at all connected to the war. And that was also one of the – I mean that episode could have been really at any point. We frankly said it could have even been a season two episode. Um, and the fact that this is again directly connected to the war makes the war seem like an actual thing that's happening and an actual threat. Yeah. If they if this were just a self-contained episode and it was the – the pack led then number one. What the hell is the pack led doing? You know, assaulting a Federation vessel in the middle of a galactic war. I mean, they join the Dominion. You know, why would you do that? <laughs> this isn't exactly the best time to play, but or is it? Hmm, maybe it is. Maybe it's the best time to do it. Hmm. I like uh, Bashir almost sitting on a chip and frying himself. There's a lot of good comedy in the episode that is impacted by the fact that they're all tiny, which I appreciate. Well, and I like. I think it was interesting that the episode just kind of ends with this, you know, five minute coda. Like the episode obviously ends early, and they have you know a few minutes of running time, so they have Worf and then Odo play little jokes, and they're both hilarious. (laughs) 
This is the. <laughs> Shall we do it together? <laughs> this, this is the story of a little ship that went a little trip. trip. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And then, of course, Odo playing the joke. Is yeah. Great, too. Uh, we haven't seen him and Quark really having heart to hearts much lately. And no. So it's nice to see Odo and Quark uh, having a moment where they bond. Yeah, I think that, uh, well, that's actually kind of interesting because I, you know, go, go back to Far Beyond the Stars for a minute, although we didn't, as if we didn't talk about that yeah. long enough already. That, that one of the things I also liked about it was the casting of that because you've got uh, uh, the, uh, you know, Rene Rejonois and you've got Armin Shimmerman playing two characters that are still very combative towards each other, yeah. which is nice. It's a nice little through line to the episode, even as they're not playing exactly the same characters. I, you know, I recognized Armin Shimmerman immediately because mostly from Buffy, yeah. but I, I knew who he was. Uh, Rene Aubergenois took a little longer. Um, Ducat, I wasn't a hundred percent off. I st- is, is the artist Garrick? No, no, that's Martok. Okay, I did. He was the only one I couldn't place. Uh, there was a little bit of a fun, uh, you know, spot the actual. And poor O'Brien. Every time he's given a chance to actually act, he just can't do it. No, he does he a good tries. job. He's fine. He's a good actor. He's actually one of the only Deep Space Nine actors as well as an acting career. Really? Yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, mm. he might make him angry. And Nog was the new stand boy. Oh, yeah. Well, we're going back to far beyond the stars, so maybe we're done. With <laughs> maybe we're done with this. Well, you episode know, time is cyclical. Ti- time is time is not linear. Yeah, kind of a kind of a schizophrenic week, but I think a good one. <laughs> well, if you have any thoughts on either of the episodes we just discussed, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at truckaboutshow.com. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. Uh, we are releasing our November patron special in just another few days. We don't know what it is yet because we haven't decided. Little, <gasps> we under, never talked little, about that? A little under the gun here, but we'll figure it out. Oh, there was wink, the... Wink, for $5 a month or more patrons. So if you would like to listen to that mystery episode, please go to patreon.com slash truckaboutshow and give generously. Please also give generously to our GoFundMe at GoFundMe.com slash TrekAboutShow. We need new equipment. We also have another podcast tuning in. The episode 15 is being released in two days. Oh, my God. On, we've done 15 already? Yeah. It's actually the last episode of Firefly. Which doesn't exist. Mo- no, on the movie. Oh. Yeah. The, okay. the last episode of the podcast on Firefly, which I know is I confusing. I understand. On the movie Serenity. And so if you want to know what show we're doing next... You have to listen to that episode of the podcast to find out. Mm. Just go to tuninginshow.com and download it. We won't tell you otherwise. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We are on all those places. Truck About Show. And as always, please leave us a positive iTunes review. It has been a while since we've gotten a new one, so we would please appreciate a new one very much. Please and thank you. Next week, we're already more than halfway through the sixth season. It's Mm. crazy. But I was looking like I I was... Last night, when I after I finished the episode, clicking forward, and you know, I, I like that there's still a bunch left. There's still a bunch left, but it's gonna go quick. It's and gonna, I'm go gonna be quick. sad, yeah. and then we're gonna have Voyager. Oh boy, we're gonna have a lot of fun with Voyager. Voyager, oh Voyager, I love it. I've, we're changing the name of the podcast, <laughs> <laughs> but we're not there yet. We've still got some DS9 to go, including next DS9. Week. That's fine. <laughs> Next week, we're talking about Honor Among Thieves, 
which uh, maybe will fix some problems that Richard has with a, with a certain aspect of DS9. Maybe not. We'll just have to find out. Is that all the thievery? Yeah. And change of heart. 